time for the Tech Mobility Show with Ken Chester. Ken is a veteran journalist who doesn't always color between the lines. So, here he is, the host with the electrified personality, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome once again to the Tech Mobility Show, America's program for news, information, and perspective at the intersection of mobility and technology. Ken Chester here, and as usual, we have a full docket, so let's get started. On the docket, a review of the all-new 2023 Toyota Prius Hybrid, how climate change is impacting your life, and it's time, a Tesla autopilot recall. We're going to talk about that in detail. To join the conversation, call or text the Tech Mobility Hotline, that number, 872-222-9793, or you can email the show, talk at techmobility.show, and that is talk at techmobility.show. From the Tech Mobility News Desk, I talked about Rivion a number of weeks ago and how Rivion was expanding their commercial van manufacturing and marketing beyond Amazon. For those of you that don't remember, Amazon put some $700 million into the Illinois-based EV manufacturer. Part of that money was to develop a commercial delivery van exclusively for Amazon. And they started doing that. And Amazon was to get 100,000 of them over the next six to seven years. A few months ago, I announced uh, that Rivion had said, We are going to expand our marketing of our commercial van to the world. Not just Amazon, not just exclusive, but we are going to make it available. And I questioned at that time because in my research, there are scores of what we call um, medium-duty EV commercial vehicle manufacturers. Most of them you've never heard of, but it's more than one or two. And probably at this point, more than even 10. But it's a market, and it includes GM, and it's a series you may or may not have heard of, called Bright Drop, which builds the same thing. Um, Electric commercial delivery vans for market, and they're delivering them now. You may not have seen one. I'm still looking for one. I'd still like to see one. But I do know that FedEx is taking delivery of them. I think UPS is taking some. But they're in production. And I wondered how a company like Rivion could compete against GM and against the scores of others that are out there marketing. Even a company we talked about, Bollinger, which was the first ever EV manufacturer we started talking about five, six years ago. And we watched their evolution from developing their first ever um, EV, uh, SUV, and pickup to being a medium-duty EV upfitter, meaning that they build the EV truck chassis, and then you can put on the back of whatever you want using Bollinger's technology. We watch that. There's a lot of people in the field. Here's something interesting, and I'm looking at this, and uh, this is coming from an EV publication, and it says... AT&T and Rivion Go Electric, partner for smart and sustainable fleet. And I'm going, AT&T 
which has a large fleet and is very big on sustainability and deployment to keep their networks up. You know, you've seen the commercials when they get into um, extreme weather events, how they deploy their teams into these areas in order to sustain the availability of uh, Wi-Fi and cellular phone service. Here's the article. AT&T and Rivion team up for a greener future with electric vehicles and advanced connectivity, setting a new standard for sustainable transportation. I still wondered about this, and I had to read into the article, and then it hit me what AT&T was doing. It's not a one-way street. AT&T will also pilot Rivion's electric vehicles in its fleet starting this year, Here it is, while becoming the exclusive connectivity provider for all Rivion vehicles in the U.S. and Canada. This is what they call in the industry a win-win. Let's look at it from AT&T's standpoint. AT&T gets a chance to get into an EV manufacturer's basic connectivity issues. So you've got Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, a whole suite of diagnostic information, over-the-air updates, all of this stuff now, AT&T works with Rivion. What that does for AT&T is it allows them to develop a marketable suite of commercial software and materials and hardware that they can market to other EV truck manufacturers in the space, having perfected it with Rivion. What's in it for Rivion? Well, that's obvious. Rivion has a second customer for their, and a solid customer for their growing commercial van business. I had to figure out why, because typically a company like AT&T, I was in the phone industry fresh out of college and, you know, they're all about, you know, bids and lowest cost and getting it done. So I knew there had to be something else in it. For AT&T to say, oh, we're going to pick Rivion as opposed to picking Brightrop because no doubt, I am sure Brightrop and a host of other companies saw this plum with AT&T and said, you know, this could be an opportunity to sell AT&T volume and be our vehicles as their EVs. But it was Rivion that won the prize. A little bit more about AT&T, their commercial fleet plays a crucial role in connecting customers across the country. By integrating Rivion's commercial van and R1 vehicles into the fleet, AT&T aims to reduce the carbon footprint, improve safety, reduce costs, because Rivion's in-house software stack optimizes fleet management and lowers total ownership costs. Imagine AT&T bringing what they know and plugging into that. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Beyond the EV pilot program, AT&T's exclusive connectivity partnership with Rivion unlocks a world of possibilities for smart and connected vehicles. Through AT&T's network, Rivion vehicles will benefit from over-the-air updates, meaning money that Rivion doesn't have to spend to develop it. Advanced safety features, um, emergency response, remote diagnostics, vehicle-to-vehicle communication, vehicle-to-infrastructure communication, on the AT&T side, now integrated into the Rivion suite of what's available, making it even more valuable. 
seamless data transfer. Because they're now a partner, it's not an add-on. It's engineered in. Again, makes both companies stronger and more competitive. Because all these other folks who are looking at EV commercial vehicles in the medium-duty space will probably, if they don't team up like AT&T did with Rivian, will be an add-on. Either something that um, the buyer or the fleet manager would have to specify, which means it's not optimized, or something that um, the manufacturer would have to work. So there's a lot of shortcomings going that way. But in the case of AT&T and Rivian, again, win-win, because now it's being developed as a seamless solution, as a optimized solution, as a turnkey solution to where you can go to Rivian now and not have to worry and say, I need a fleet of 100 of these. And I need them to work with our existing system. Rivian and AT&T say, no problem. We can optimize. AT&T has the communication skills. Rivian has the EV skills plus their management stack uh, for the vehicle itself. How can you lose? Now, they don't quote price, but honestly, if Rivian comes in like this and comes in where it makes economic sense, you're going to see a lot of these on the road and not just by AT&T. Now, I will note that the Rivian commercial vans are smaller than the bright drop vans that GM has. GM has two sizes. To my knowledge, I think Rivian has the one size and it's probably a size or two smaller than than bright drop's smallest one. So that might be another advantage to where Rivian is looking at small to medium businesses that don't need quite the size of a bright drop van, but still like the uh, economics and the numbers for an EV uh, commercial van and that's smaller and safer. And AT&T plans to use AI to put into this. Again, win, win, win all the way around. So I think that I see where Rivian wants to go. And I think starting with AT&T makes them uh, a, a, a competitor, a real honest to goodness, solid competitor that can do nothing but grow and own the space. They could be very well the Tesla of the commercial truck market. And I think that's where they're going to be. Up next is a fun little spacecraft from Toyota called Prius. You're listening to the Tech Mobility Show. Are you tired of juggling multiple apps and platforms for meetings, webinars, and staying connected? Look no further than AONMeetings.com, the all-in-one browser-based platform that does it all. With AON Meetings, you can effortlessly communicate with clients, host virtual meetings and webinars, and stay in touch with family and friends, all in one place and for one price. Here's the best part. You can enjoy a 30-day free trial. It's time to simplify your life and boost your productivity. AONMeetings.com, where innovation meets connection. Get started today and revolutionize the way you communicate. Social media is the main place to be these days, and we are no exception. I'm Ken Chester, the Tech Mobility Show. If you enjoy my program, then you will also enjoy my weekly Facebook videos. From my latest vehicle reviews to timely commentary of a variety of mobility and technology-related topics, these short features are designed to inform and delight you. Be sure to watch, like, and follow us on Facebook. You can find us by typing the Tech Mobility Show in the search bar. Be sure to subscribe to our Facebook page. Social media is the place to be these days, and we're no exception. I'm Ken Chester of the Tech Mobility Show. 
If you enjoy my program, then you will also enjoy my weekly Instagram videos. From the latest vehicle reviews to timely commentary on a variety of mobility and technology-related topics, these short features are designed to inform and delight you. Be sure to watch, like, and follow us on Instagram. You can find us by typing the Tech Mobility Show in the search bar. For those of you that listen to podcasts, we have just the one for you. Hi, I'm Ken Chester. Tech Mobility Topics is a podcast where I upload topic-specific videos each week. Shorter than the full show, these bite-sized programs are just the thing, particularly if you're interested in a particular topic covered on the weekly radio show. From Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many podcast platforms in between, we got you covered. Just enter Tech Mobility Topics in the search bar wherever you listen to podcasts. It's been a long time since transportation has truly advanced. We've been moving, we just haven't been moving forward. But now we have good news for planet Earth. The gas electric Prius with hybrid synergy drive is here. high mileage and plenty of performance it's one small step on the accelerator one giant leap for mankind sounds like a commercial that they could play today doesn't it actually that's a commercial from 20 years ago the toyota prius is one of probably well no i'm sorry to my knowledge, in the American marketplace is the longest-running, continuously offered-for-sale hybrid of anybody. Continuously. It was developed by the automaker to be a car for, quote, the 21st century. And the Toyota Prius first went on sale in Japan in 1997, with this global introduction happening for the 2000 model year that is 23, sorry, 24 years ago. Prius holds the distinction of being the first mass-produced hybrid vehicle offered by any automaker in the world. And in case you wanted to know, Prius is a Latin word that means first or superior to go before. So fun fact, do you know how to pronounce Prius in the plural sense? I mean, meaning if you happen to on more than one at the same time, how would you refer to those? According to the automaker, it's pre and that's P-R-I-I, as we have pre in the driveway. Okay, whatever, Toyota. For those of you who follow Toyota closely, especially for you that do not, you might wonder what the difference is between the standard Prius and Prius Prime models, like I did. I wanted to know. While both are hybrids, the Prius Prime is the primary difference between those models is that the Prius is a hybrid vehicle, while the Prius Prime is a plug-in hybrid, which means you can charge it daily for extra range in EV mode. And I am here to tell you, good news, that being a hybrid don't mean having to be ugly. And, and it also means, because honestly, for a while it seemed like in order to be a hybrid, you had to be an ugly duckling something, almost apologizing that you're not gasoline powered. 
I'm glad Toyota got over that. More on that in a minute. This review will cover the standard Prius models. Now in its fifth generation, the all-new 2023 Toyota Prius is a completely transformed vehicle. With a sleek new exterior design, reimagined interior, and an amped-up hybrid powertrain, this new Prius is built for style, performance, and efficiency with a lower, wider, one-motion silhouette and coupe-inspired shape. <laughs> In silver, it reminds me of a small spaceship, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's really sleek. It's really nice looking. Available in six trim levels, the Prius is powered by a gasoline electric hybrid system that employs a larger two-liter four-cylinder gasoline engine, a permanent magnet AC synchronous motor, and a 222-volt lithium-ion battery pack. The hybrid system produces 196 horsepower. Torque is communicated to the front wheels via an electric continuously variable automatic transmission. All-wheel drive models add a second electric motor to drive the rear wheels. EPA fuel economy numbers at 57 city, 56 highway for the LE front-wheel drive, 52 city and highway for the LXC limited front-wheel drive models, and 53 city, 54 highway for the LE all-wheel drive, and finally, 49 city, 50 highway for the XLE limited all-wheel drive. Cargo capacity is 23.8 cubic feet with the rear seats up. The all-new Prius also receives handling and braking updates that add to the vehicle's driving experience. Motorists can choose between five driving modes to optimize performance in almost any situation. So here's what I liked about the vehicle. Without a doubt, it's the best Prius yet, full stop. Sophisticated and stylish on the outside, inviting and user-friendly on the inside, this felt shape of a car does not impede the driver's outward view, which impressed me to no end. The shape of the Prius is well-proportioned from every angle. There's, no, there's just no bad view of this car. The low step in height makes entry and exit super easy. On the road, the Prius is quiet, smooth, and responsive. And I didn't find the placement of the dashboard display to be a hindrance, although it was placed further from the driver than usual. Overall, displays, controls, and switch gear have been well considered with an infotainment display that is easy to read and use. Toyota adds a twist to the conventional sunroof with a slide retractable up front and a fixed glass sunlight opening for rear seat passengers. And speaking of rear seat passengers, the new Prius has an impressive amount of rear leg room, something not found in a vehicle of this size. Available rear heated outboard seating, a center folding armrest with dual molded dual cup holders and dual USB-C ports make the rear seat surprisingly user-friendly. There's also additional storage under the cargo area floor. And narrow tires only add to the traction in poor weather, and I mean like deep snow, like we just recently had. Here's what I don't like about the vehicle. And this, dear listener, may be one of the shortest lists of don't likes I've ever had for a vehicle review. <laughs> but here they are. Now, while the dash-mounted rear-view camera is perfect for viewing, I'm sorry, I could not get used to the optional camera-based rear-view mirror. I just didn't like it. The thing gave me a headache, and I could have done better without it. I just couldn't get adjusted eyesight-wise looking at it. It's just something kind of unnatural about it. And also, as to want to be with EVs, there's no spare tire. 
And the question I always ask, are the tires on the car run flat, puncture resistant, or self-sealing? Inquiring Rhines want to know. So here's the bottom line. Without a doubt, the fifth generation Toyota Prius is the best within its over 20 years in the marketplace. Fast, efficient, comfortable, and Toyota bulletproof. The price won't break you. If you're a contrarian that has something to prove at a traffic light, <laughs> this Prius won't let you down. Just be, sure, just be sure to choose a sport mode. The base manufacturer suggests retail price for the 2023 Toyota Prius Hybrid Sedan starts from $27,450 for the LE forward, I'm sorry, LE front wheel drive and up to $35,865 for the limited all wheel drive. Destination charges add $1,095. As tested, the 2023 Toyota Prius, I drove the limited front wheel drive with the following extra cost options. That awful digital rear view mirror, limited uh, premium package, heated rear seats, all weather floor liners slash cargo liner, dash cam and mud guards. Total cost of the options came to $2,000. $459. Total MSRP, including options and destination charges, came to $38,019. And I will say this. People have been maligned and maligned the design, the exterior design of the Prius for years. This one will not embarrass you. In fact, it's quite a looker. Climate change. Whether you believe in it or not, it's impacting your daily life right now. We examine how. This is the Tech Mobility Show. Do you listen to podcasts? Seems that most people do. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. If you missed any of our weekly episodes on the radio, our podcast is a great way to listen. You can find the Tech Mobility Podcast just about anywhere you can enjoy podcasts. Be sure to follow us. From Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many platforms in between, we are there. Just enter the Tech Mobility Podcast in the search bar wherever you listen to podcasts. Social media. It's the place to be who are no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. Several times a week, I post to TikTok several of the topics that I cover on my weekly radio show. It's another way to keep up on mobility technology news and information. I've built quite a library of short videos for your viewing pleasure, so be sure to watch, like, and subscribe. That's the Tech Mobility Show on TikTok. Check it out. If you're just joining us, this is the Tech Mobility Show, and I'm Ken Chester. Climate change. I am sure by now you are sick and tired of hearing about it, how the planet is in danger and how we need to all make drastic changes and blah, blah, blah. Trust me, trust me, I understand. But here's the reality of the situation. Man-made climate change is impacting your life right now, and this is topic B. Let's take a minute. Let's take a minute on what's happening weather-wise over the last couple of weeks in the United States. The United States got walloped by a series of storms in rapid succession of everything from snow in the Midwest to flooding in the East. And in fact, where I grew up, again, New England, uh, they got the town I grew up in, Lunenburg, Massachusetts, got 17 inches of snow beginning of the week, the middle of the week, four inches of rain. And by the weekend, they're expecting another storm. 
That's not normal. These extreme weather events. Now, I've heard from you all about climate change, and I get it. And no, you're right. No, man-made activity did not cause extreme weather. The problem is, though, climate change and our role in it has increased the frequency and the severity of severe weather. That's the thing you need to understand. No, you're right. Weather patterns are weather patterns, will always be weather patterns. But where we come in is we've made them worse and we've made them more frequent. Um, Let me give you some background. This is a recent column, and I'm going to read it here. Climate change causes tens of billions of dollars in economic damage in the United States every year. And this is according to a new survey. Climate change is expensive, deadly, and get this, preventable. We've talked about the new, the recent edition of the National Climate Assessment. And I'm going to talk some more about it. It is the most sweeping, sophisticated federal analysis of climate climate change compiled to date. If you remember the last time we talked about this, it's released every five years. And it's been that way since 1990. This is not a new phenomenon. This report has come out once every five years over the last 34 years. This new fifth edition paints a picture of a nation simultaneously beset by climate-driven disasters and, the capable, and capable of dramatically reducing emissions of planet-warming gases in the near future. This fifth assessment is the first time that it includes standalone chapters about climate change toll in the American economy. And unlike past installments, the new assessment draws heavily from social science, including history, sociology, philosophy, and indigenous studies. The new approach adds context and relevance to the assessment's robust scientific findings and underscores the disproportionate danger that climate change poses to poor people, marginalized communities, and older Americans and those who work outdoors. I want to get into the numbers here. Let me get into the numbers. So I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, But let me give you the impact of Do you think anybody actually reads or follows this? The answer is yes. The National Climate Assessment is extremely influential in legal and policy circles and affects everything from court cases about who should foot the bill for wildfire damage to local decisions about how tall the bill calls to flood barriers. A couple of years ago, we talked about how the city of Boston was trying to attempt to address climate change uh, that was coming in 50 years by addressing how how large they needed to build barriers now. So this is not a hypothetical. The fifth edition of the assessment arrives as millions of Americans are struggling with the effects of a hotter earth. Dramatic and deadly wildfires, floods, and heat waves killed hundreds of people in the United States last year. And while federal spending on renewable energy and disaster preparedness has increased, the U.S. is also investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure that is not compatible with avoiding catastrophic warming later in this century. And we talked about that a couple of months ago. There are three big takeaways, and I want to try to get to them if I can. Let me start with the first one. Climate change makes life more expensive. Food, housing, labor, it all gets pricier as the earth heats up. 
Climate-driven weather disasters like heat waves, floods, hurricanes, and wildfires are particularly expensive. They destroy homes and businesses, wreck crops, and create supply shortages by delaying trucks, ships, and trains. If you took a look at the Florida panhandle in the last couple of weeks and the damage caused down there and what's happening across the south with all this rain and the flooding and the high winds, that's real cost in real time. Weather-related disasters in the United States cause about $150 billion each year. I'll say that again. Weather-related disasters in the United States cause about $150 billion a year in direct losses, according to the report. And they expect that to go up as the earth gets hotter. And that's before factoring in all the less obvious or tangible costs of climate change. Healthcare bills for people who are sicker because of extreme heat or respiratory illnesses brought on by breathing in mold after a flood. Exposure to wildfire smoke alone costs billions of dollars a year in lost earnings and a burden that falls disproportionately on poor people who work outdoors. Now, here's, here's a catch-22 for you. They said, now... One of the easiest ways to adapt to severe heat waves is to run your air conditioner more. Well, guess what? Two problems with that. If you're on the poor end of the scale, that ups your power bill. And if you're in an area where there's extreme heat, you just put additional demands on an already stressed power grid. They got two choices. Either implement what they call um, hot standby generators, which are not that efficient in order to level the load, or their blackouts. Either one does not help. Number two, climate change makes people sick and often kills them. Since the previous National Climate Assessment was released five years ago, health costs of climate change have gone from theoretical to personal for many Americans. The most obvious risk, and you're seeing it this week, extreme weather, extremely, particularly heat. Heat waves have become hotter longer, more dangerous, and they're hitting areas that aren't ready for them, like the record-shattering heat dome that descended on the Pacific Northwest back three years ago and caused hundreds of deaths. You keep hearing wildfires. I must say it again. Wildfire smoke can send people thousands of miles from the fires to the hospitals with respiratory problems and heart disease complications. Let's stop right there. You heard me talk this summer about air quality. We're hundreds of miles from Canada, yet the air quality in Des Moines, Iowa got bad. No wildfires for hundreds of miles, but because it came in, it we had an issue. And if you were already compromised uh, respiratorily, then you were at risk of further complications. Again, it comes in Temperatures in formerly redlined neighborhoods and cities across the country can soar nearly 15 degrees Fahrenheit hotter than wealthier areas just blocks away, putting residents at much higher risk of heat exposure. Those are two of the three. Can you imagine? I won't even get into people's special sacred places and practices to something else. Spike claims to the contrary, Teslas are not fully autonomous. There's a recall and that's next. We are the Tech Mobility Show.
To learn more about the Tech Mobility Show, start by visiting our website. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. The website is a treasure trove of information about me and the show, as well as where to find it on the radio across the country. Keep up with the happenings at the Tech Mobility Show by visiting techmobility.show. That's techmobility.show. You can also drop us a line at talk at techmobility.show. Did you know that Tech Mobility has a YouTube channel? Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. Each week, I upload a few short videos of some of the hot topics that I cover during my weekly radio program. I've designed these videos to be informative and entertaining. It's another way to keep up on current mobility and technology news and information. Be sure to watch, like, and subscribe to my channel. That's the Tech Mobility Show on YouTube. Check it out. Are you tired of juggling multiple apps and platforms for meetings, webinars, and staying connected? Look no further than AONMeetings.com, the all-in-one browser-based platform that does it all. With AON Meetings, you can effortlessly communicate with clients, host virtual meetings and webinars, and stay in touch with family and friends, all in one place and for one price. Here's the best part. You can enjoy a 30-day free trial. It's time to simplify your life and boost your productivity. AONMeetings.com, where innovation meets connection. Get started today and revolutionize the way you communicate. Social media is the place to be these days, and we're no exception. I'm Ken Chester of the Tech Mobility Show. If you enjoy my program, then you will also enjoy my weekly Instagram videos. From the latest vehicle reviews to timely commentary on a variety of mobility and technology-related topics, these short features are designed to inform and delight you. Be sure to watch, like, and follow us on Instagram. You can find us by typing the Tech Mobility Show in the search bar. Federal safety regulators have announced the largest recall in Tesla's 20-year history. It has to do with the automaker's autopilot feature and will impact more than 2 million vehicles. Basically, almost every single Tesla ever made, save for a few that weren't equipped with it when they first came out. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is Topic C. Let me start by quoting the obvious, and I've said this before, I'm saying it again. I don't care what Tesla tells you. A Tesla is not fully autonomous. Now, yes, since 2016 October, Teslas have been built with what they call full self-driving mode. It has not been deployed. Why? Because we don't have federal laws and guidelines that mandate how it should be used, when it should be used, and you know what the parameters are for its use and safety. And until that happens, the car may be equipped with it, but it doesn't mean you can employ it. And unfortunately, Tesla's choice of words, autopilot, have led a lot of people to say, oh, no, I can just drive my Tesla down the road and, you know, it will handle it and I can kick back and do whatever. And a lot of people have died doing whatever. More importantly, there have been times when autopilot has not functioned the way it was supposed to. I'm thinking about a case in Florida. The fella had it engaged going down the highway. The autopilot couldn't make a determination because of colors and uh, hit a semi. The driver was killed. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has been looking at Tesla since then. And here's what they said. They said, as the car maker began to, well, they announced a recall 
as the car maker began distributing fixes to more than 2 million vehicles equipped with autopilot systems found to have, and I quote, insufficient safeguards against driver misuse. The agency said that Tesla's done too little to ensure that drivers pay attention to the road while its autopilot driver assistance system is activated. Yeah, and I want to appeal to the folks that think that I think EVs are perfect. They are not. That autonomous vehicles are here. They are not. And I've been sounding that alarm for years now. We thought it'd be here sooner. It's going to be here in trucking sooner than it is for private passenger cars. There's still problems because there's so many different variables when it comes to driving your private car. Uh, terrain, location, time of day, season, condition, uh, driver attentiveness, load, uh, light, um, daylight, nighttime, whatever, colors. All that stuff comes into play a million billion different ways. In fact, the agency said, and I quote, there may be an increased risk of a crash when the system is engaged and the driver does not maintain responsibility for vehicle operation is in unprepared to intervene as necessary. That is important because in at least 49 of the 50 states in the United States of America, including the District of Columbia, laws say that if you are behind the wheel, you are responsible. Full stop Tesla or not. At the end of the day, you can't claim autopilot was engaged. It wasn't my fault. Uh uh-uh, uh, sorry, that is not a legal uh, defense. Nowhere right now. That will not get you clear. The recall comes three days after the Washington Post published an investigation that identified at least eight fatal. Vehicle crashes involving Tesla drivers using autopilot on roads where the software was not intended to be used. The key word you want to hear now is called geofencing. What do I mean by that? Uh, And uh, Cadillac Supercruise uses that too. There are roads, typically limited access roads like interstates, where it is conditional autonomy. Not full, conditional that in those roads, because of the limited interaction with traffic and cross streets, where it will work. People are trying to use this in places where it was never designed to work. And unfortunately, the Tesla system didn't call them on it. And that's the problem. In user manuals, legal documents, and and communications federal regulators, Tesla acknowledged that auto steer, autopilot's key feature, is intended for use on controlled access highways with a center divider, clear lane markings, and no cross traffic, a federal interstate, and not a loop, and not the business version of that interstate that we use out here in the Midwest. Mm -mm. Straight up regular interstate. The recall report imposed by NHTSA confirmed that auto steer is designed and intended for use on controlled access highways, except when Tesla vehicles are operating in a more advanced version of the driver assistance known as full self-driving. To encourage the driver to adhere to a continuous driving responsibility wherever auto steer is engaged, NHTSA said Tesla would implement additional checks on drivers using the feature outside controlled access highways, among other remedies. I have some concerns about full self-driving because full self-driving right now in the United States does not 
um, release you from liability. If you are behind a wheel in a vehicle on an American road, you are ultimately responsible for what happens. Period. I don't care what you're using. That's the law right now. At a congressional hearing, um, the NHTSA's acting administrator said the agency had found that many crashes involving autopilot had occurred when the driver failed to recognize and react to a sudden obstacle. Okay, I'm sorry, NHTSA. Here's my problem. And I've said this before. If you are using some sort of semi-autonomous um, software and you're 40 miles an hour or more, you're talking a total of maybe five to 10 nanoseconds. These are fractions of a second to realize there's a problem, take control of the wheel and employ corrective action. I just spent 15 seconds when you had maybe five nanoseconds to deal with it. For the driver to be constantly aware and hovering defeats the purpose of using it in the first place. And therein lies the rub people. Because these are not fully autonomous, because the blame and the obligation and the responsibility is still on you, the driver, even if it's, in quotes, driver, it's still on you. How could you, even if the system gave you two seconds, you still didn't have enough time? Because first of all, it's got to stay, if you're not paying total attention, it's got to warn you. All right, it's warned you. Now you've got to determine what it warned you about. Then once you figure that out, what am I going to do about it? All of that together. Again, I spent 15 seconds in something that you got five. So it's not entirely fair to the driver because there's no way they're going to act as fast as a computer. Just no way. But here we are. Here we are. Best bet, leave autonomous alone and assume that these are not fully autonomous, which they are not. And if you use them like that, you're going to have a problem because at the end, it's going to be on you. We have come to the end of our program. Be sure to join me again right here next week. This has been the Tech Mobility Show. The Tech Mobility Show is a copywritten production of Tech Mobility Productions Incorporated. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Tech Mobility Productions Incorporated. For those of you that listen to podcasts, we have just the one for you. Hi, I'm Ken Chester. Tech Mobility Topics is a podcast where I upload topic-specific videos each week. Shorter than the full show, these bite-sized programs are just the thing, particularly if you're interested in a particular topic covered on the weekly radio show. From Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many podcast platforms in between, we got you covered. Just enter Tech Mobility Topics in the search bar wherever you listen to podcasts. Social media, it's the place to be who are no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. Several times a week, I post to TikTok several of the topics that I cover on my weekly radio show. It's another way to keep up on mobility technology news and information. I've built quite a library of short videos for your viewing pleasure, so be sure to watch, like, and subscribe. That's the Tech Mobility Show on TikTok. Check it out. To learn more about the Tech Mobility Show, start by visiting our website. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. 
The website is a treasure trove of information about me and the show, as well as where to find it on the radio across the country. Keep up with the happenings at the Tech Mobility Show by visiting techmobility.show. That's techmobility.show. You can also drop us a line at talk at techmobility.show. Do you listen to podcasts? Seems that most people do. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. If you missed any of our weekly episodes on the radio, our podcast is a great way to listen. You can find the Tech Mobility Podcast just about anywhere you can enjoy podcasts. Be sure to follow us. From Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many platforms in between, we are there. Just enter the Tech Mobility Podcast in the search bar wherever you listen to podcasts.